Okay, so we are in the middle of Yehi Ratzon, Vihi Ratzon, at the end of Morning Brachos. And do you want to sit her? Because I see there's a few Sidurim over here. Um, last week we spoke about Vidabkenu Bemitzvosacha, asking Hashem to cause us to cling or stick close to mitzvos. Or it's possible that we could translate that as Vidabkenu and cause us to stick close, b'mitzvosecha, with the mitzvos. Okay, so we could read that as cause us to stick to mitzvos, or it could be cause us to stick to you, to stick to, to the shechina with mitzvos, by using the mitzvos. So the, the medrash gives the example, uh, the mashal, of someone falls overboard and the the mate on the ship throws out a line, a rope, and says, hold on to the rope. The rope is the mitzvos. It's through the, hanging on to the mitzvos by stick, that we stick to the boat, that we stick to Hashem by holding on to the mitzvos. Okay. Ve'al tevienu. So we have Hashem accustom us to Torah, stick us to mitzvos. Ve'al tevienu. And do not bring us. Tevienu, like the root is lavo to come. Lehavi is to bring, like because it's like coming, but it's something you act on someone else, so that's bringing them. The altevienu, and do not bring us loli de chet, not by means of chet, or <laughs> in the hands of, right? Like, not into the clutches of chet. Veloli de avera veavon, and not by means of avera and avon, and we just ended last time by saying that those are in ascending order. Those are more and more serious types of sin. So chait can be bishoge. It could be accidental. The word chait, the root of the word chait, means to be out of place, to be swept aside. So when somebody misplaces the energy that God gave them, that's a chait. When, when your effort, your energy, your passion went into the wrong thing, that's called a chait. <laughs> It should have been somewhere else, and it's over here. It got moved aside to the wrong place. But that could be accidental or negligent, you know, like maybe you didn't learn, you didn't realize, you didn't know, you weren't careful enough. Viloli de Avera, but an Avera is a sin where the Yetzirah beat over your Yetzirah. You were like, good morning. Um, you knew what was right, and you knew what was wrong, and you could have stopped theoretically. It's not because there was something you just weren't paying attention. But, but you gave in. So chait might leave a person, but, but even so, even with Avera, the person might feel horrified with themselves when they realize what they've done. And Avon, we said, was on purpose. It was willful violation. And they all, not only are, is one worse than the one before, but they also have a tendency to lead one to the next if one is not careful. I mean, to take that sense of horror and use it to say, what can I do to make sure that it won't happen again? Because if you don't do that, and, you, and it happens again, and then it happens again, it starts to not feel like it's a problem. And the horror gets lost, and then it's much, much harder to figure out how to turn yourself around, because now it seems normal. Everyone does it. OK. <laughs> yeah. But, but in any case, meaning one can lead to the next. Because the Gemara Numa says, right, if a person does an Avera and repeats it, 
it, it feels as if it becomes permitted. When you're used to doing a certain Avera, it's hard to imagine it's not okay. We all know that feels. Someone says, oh, you're not allowed to do such and such on Shabbos. Like, what? <laughs> How can that be? That can't be. Right? It's so much, if you're used to doing it, even if you don't know, even if you do know, right? Well, yeah, I guess I probably shouldn't. But the truth is everyone does. We always do. Like, we've always done it that way, you know? Like... How serious could it be? One of my teachers used to say, that's the newest hechsher, E-E-T, everyone eats there. Like, yeah. <laughs> that must be kosher, everyone eats there. You know, I don't know, like, anyway, okay. Um, Rav Schwab points out that lavo or lehavi doesn't just mean to come or to bring. He said it's also used to mean to return. So you might say, for example, latzet velavo, like um, to go and to come back. It doesn't just mean to, come, to go and to come. It means coming back to where you left from. So we're asking Hashem in that sense, targilenu secha please help us get accustomed and habituated to Torah and mitzvot, and don't let us go back back into our old ways of sinning. Because it's so easy to go back to our old habits until the new habit. I mean, it takes a long time for a new habit to be really, really what I'm used to doing that seems like my new norm. So we're saying to Hashem, not just don't, it's not that we're saying don't bring us into Avera. Like what? Hashem won't bring us into Averas, right? But don't bring us, don't let us slide back into them. Don't let us return there. We don't want to end up back there. I think based on some of the things we've said before, we could also read into this. Don't bring us, don't bring us where? Don't bring us to you. How would we get, how would we get to the next world by means of chet avera, avon, nisayon, vizayon? We could get somewhere good that way, but it's a really long, hard way, right? We've talked about that. It's a way that requires kapara. It's a way that requires tshuva. It's a way that might require yisurim chas v'shalom. It's a way that might, right? All kinds of ways to clean up the mess we make with the sins. We would much rather be able to get close to Hashem through targileinu b'mitzvosecha v'dabkeinu b'mitzvosecha and not have to go through the hard slog of messing up and having to fix up what we've done wrong. That's a really hard one. You know, we say that in the place where Baal Tshuva stands, Atzad Gamor can't stand. And that's not talking about a cultural phenomenon of Baal Tshuva, right? That means someone who did something wrong and has worked on themselves to fix it so that they want to do what's right and they're not repeating what's wrong. Okay, let's use that for the moment as Baal Tshuva. When you do that, then what happens is that through the fact that you did something wrong, you become even stronger to doing what's right. Somebody who grew up always doing it right and never even maybe thought about it, but they just do it because that's what's right to do, so they do it. And that's a really good thing. But the com- think about the commitment, the relationship a person has to a mitzvah when they worked hard to do it, right? When they learned about it and they had to make a change in themselves to do it. That makes a person much stronger, more committed to the mitzvah, more connected to it, more caring, more, they're stronger in it. They might be more careful not to slide and do the wrong thing, right? But we don't say that we wish that we could sin in order to be able to be stronger through tshuva. 
That we don't say. We would rather not sin. Once it comes out that we've already sinned, we've all sinned somehow, right? We all do. So then we daven that we should be able to do tshuva. So over here, one thing that we're also saying is Hashem, like, yes, it's true that I could draw even closer to you through tshuva than I could through just getting it right in the first place, but could you help me get it right in the first place? Please. Like, I, I don't want to mess up. Because, yeah, afterward, I'll do, but who says there a guarantee I'll do tshuva? Am I guaranteed I'll get it right? I don't know about you, but if there's anything, you know, that I've ever had to really, truly do tshuva for, not just like, you know, beat my chest, like whatever, but actually dealing with the humiliation and shame of realizing I really messed up, I really hurt somebody, I like to be a nice person, I wasn't a nice per you know, like having to face that in myself and then having to think, is there anything I could do and what kind of commitment can I take on, you know, on an ongoing basis in order to help prevent it from happening again. Like, I'm not really hoping I'll go that way. It's just better than staying stuck in the sin. Stick us to you. Loli de Nisayon. And this I actually, you know what, let me just make a note. I brought the source, but I didn't write down CF. Ramban, Al-Brashis, Chafbez. Reference. See the reference. I don't know what it actually stands for. I assume it means something in Latin or something. Okay. So bring, don't bring us by means of Chet Avera and Avon, Veloli de Nisayon, and also not through Nisayon, Nisionos. So what are Nisionos? A Nisayon means a test. That's the usual definition, right? We don't ask to be tested. Um, there's a Gemara in Brachos that essentially says, Hashem, I'd rather not have the test and not have the reward. Now, the truth is, sort of like what we were saying about tshuva, Obviously, having a test and succeeding in it, you become greater, right? Like, that's a, much, that's a great thing. But our attitude is not, we don't ask for tests, because you can fail them. <laughs> I mean, that's the nature of the test, is that you could pass or you could fail. And we'll look at what this means. And therefore, we don't ask for it. And there's a pasuk in Tehillim, Chafav, Bachaneni Hashem v'noseni. David HaMelech says, Hashem, test me, try me, check me out. You'll see that I'm loyal to you. And then, right after that, he made a mistake. He passed in the halacha wrong. Someone died because of it. Imagine. He failed the test. Right? There's a, there's a sort of a gaiva in saying, oh, Hashem, test me. There's a sort of a gaiva there. I'm not saying about David, you know, but there's something in saying, I can do it. And, and part of this tefillah is saying, Hashem, I'm choosing to do what's right. I want to do what's right, and I need your help. That's really what this Vihi Ratzon is saying. It's, it's, it's saying, I want to pass all the tests, but it's also saying, I need your help to do it. Okay, so I want to look at this first source. Bracious Chafbez Aleph. This is the beginning of the, what's called Parshas Ha'akeda. Okay, so the section on Akedas Yitzchak, the binding of Yitzchak. Bring him as a korban. It was after these things, previous things. And Hashem Nisa. So let's say the translation is tested. Es Avraham. 
Vayomer Elov, and he said to him, Avraham, Avraham, Vayomer, and Avraham said, Hineni, here I am. I'm ready. Yes. Okay, so the Ramban is, addresses this question, which is a question that I have to assume you've thought about, because it's difficult not to if you think, which is why do we have tests? God knows everything. He knows what we're going to choose. He knows what we're going to do. What is the point of a test if he knows? Okay, also, you could say, what's the point of a test if I'm going to fail? Okay, so here's the Ramban. Um, uh, you know what? It doesn't say it in this Ramban, so I will just tell you. The word nace comes up in other places in Torah. I'm sorry, I didn't. I, I wasn't planning that this would be the focus of the shear. Where mostly we're going to talk about Yetzer, but this is in between. And then I realized, oh, there's this great Ramban, but I didn't go look up all the other bits about Nace. All right, there is a pasuk Nace lehis noseis, a banner to to raise high and wave high. Okay. When you see this verse, and you don't just automatically go with what you've always learned, right? Hashem tested Abraham. But let's say you look at it with fresh eyes. What does each word mean? Okay, that's God. Nisa. Well, a nace means a miracle. Right? You look at it with fresh eyes, and all of a sudden, you start seeing that there's different things that you could be reading in here. A nace is a miracle. Okay? Or perhaps... So that's, again... Standard translation is a miracle. What is a nace really? A nace is God overturning nature in order to demonstrate that he can. <laughs> or, right, that it's his. It's putty in his hands. Okay. If you knew the word nace, that it means a banner, like a flag, okay, then you might say, Vahelokim Nisa es Avraham, God made him into a flag. Nisa, he, he flagged him. What would that mean? What would it mean to use a person as a flag or as a banner? To make him as an example. As a, it, makes, it, it makes, makes someone sense. an example. Um, it's something, a, a banner is something that is raised up higher than the level of the area around it in order to say over here, Mm-hmm. is where something's happening, right? So it calls attention, it proclaims. Usually it will, pro- it, a nace, it would be associated also with proclaiming somebody's dominion, right? So the, as soon as you land on the moon, the first thing you do is uncurl a flag. We, we were here, mm-hmm. okay? We're here, it's ours, something like that. So I was, one of my kids asked me to read, we were at somebody's house and they have a book about the history of the Star Spangled Banner. Very important, right? In this, right, and it mentions that they're watching from afar, and when they saw that the sun came up and the flag, that our flag was still there, right, mm-hmm. they knew that the British had not conquered Fort McHenry because if they had, the flag wouldn't be up there. They would have, first thing they would have done is taken down the American flag and raised a British flag. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's kind of a function of a flag. So then what does it mean by Elohim Nisa es Avraham? It gives us a whole new way of thinking about what does it mean? This word, which we turn into a noun and say Nisayon, an experience of Nisa, of being 
naced, mm -hmm. right? Okay, by the way, you can already start to learn into it. You say, well, hang on. If a nace means a miracle overturning the laws of nature, then if I perform in a nisayon and I'm the nace, what did I do? I did a miracle. I did something supernatural, which is true. Right? We talked about that with Yosef. You overcame your nature, your rules of nature, which said, I'm going to be angry or I'm going to eat it, or I'm going to, right? I mean, that's just the natural, organic way to do it. And you came in and by sheer force of will chose something different than what your physical body and its rules pulled into. That is, in fact, supernatural. That's an ace. That makes you an ace. Okay? That's just one thing we can learn from the fact that the word nisayon, which we tend to translate as test, which doesn't tell us anything much, is actually based on the word nace, which is a miracle, and it's also based on the word nace, which is a flag or a banner, something that is raised up high, that's also a clue, right? And that proclaims that somebody is ruling here. All right, so here's the Ramban. Ve'elokim nisa es Avraham. And God, the Lord, tested Avraham. Inyan ha-nisayon hu The idea of nisayon, that's the noun of nace, right? So test is, ladati, in my opinion, ba'avur heos maiseha adam rishus muchletes biado. It is in order, or because, in order that the actions of a person should be absolutely in his control. A person doesn't have full control over their actions, obviously, because how often do we choose to do something? And we don't manage to do it. You go to pick something up and it falls down, whatever it is, right? But the rishus is absolutely in our hands. The permission to choose what we're going to do, that is in our hands. Now, in order for that rishus to be in our hands, if the person wishes, if he has the zone. In him, he'll do it. And if he does not have that will, then he will not do it. The situation where a person is tested is a situation where a person has the experience of, like God has control over everything. But from my perspective, not knowing the future, not knowing how it will come out, I have an absolute apparent choice. I have to choose, do I want to do this or do I not want to do this? When I am faced with that, it is called a nisayon, mitzad hamenuset, from the point of view of the one being tested. Aval but the tester, may he be blessed, Hashem, who is giving us this experience, why is he doing it? Yes, from my point of view, I don't know what I'm going to choose. Right? When I get into a Nisayon, I don't know. I could go either way. Otherwise, I wouldn't be a Nisayon. I mean, it was obvious what I was going to do. Then there's no Nisayon at all. It has to be that I feel like I have a choice to make. I could do this or I could do that. But from Hashem's point of view, he knows. So why does Hashem... For, so to speak, from his point of view, as if we would know, right? 
why is he giving us a nisayon lehotzi hadavar to bring the thing out min hakoach from the potential el hapoal to the actual? To bring the thing out. Yeah, the thing, whatever it is. Okay. Uh-huh. So what does that mean? Koach means power, right? I I translated that as potential. Koach means power. Poal means that which has been, it means an action. At any time, let's say uh, my kids were doing push-ups and I said, I don't think I could do, (laughs) you know, 10 push-ups or whatever it was. Is it possible I could do one push-up? It could be. I I don't know. (laughs) Maybe not. Let's say I could, right? I could, let's say I really could. If I never do one push-up, will I be able to do 10? No, I can't do 10. Probably not. I can't do 10, but I could do one. Okay. Now, if I do do one, now I'm not just somebody who has the power or the potential to do one. I'm someone who can do one, who has done one. And if I stick with that for a while, then maybe in a month, I'll actually have the power to do two. I'll have the potential to do two. Now, if I never actually do two, I'm not a person who's done two, but I have the ability to do it if I needed to. But I still would not be able to do 10, no matter what the crisis was. I'm unlikely to pull off 10 push-ups. Okay, so min hakoach el hapoal changes the person being tested because what it does is it takes me from a place, a test offers me a choice that I am able to choose but it's pushing me to do something that I haven't yet done, which means that through the process of being tested, you could say that I myself go from the koach el hapoa. I myself go from a, from a body full of potential. You know, we all know people who have a lot of potential, but they never... I mean, one of, the, one of the scariest and saddest things, you know, when I think back, friends, you know, in elementary school or high school who were, who were always the really brilliant ones, and now they're stagnating in these very low-level jobs that don't use any of that brilliance because they never took it from the koach to the paw. <laughs> like, they never took that and figured out how to use it for something, and they still could, right? But that's really scary to see that it's very nice to have the potential. You need to have it. But the point of life is the turning that into reality and action. Because it's only from there that you can grow. Because your potential is capped, right? My potential is only at one push-up. <laughs> one and a half? That's where my potential maxed out. But by doing one, my potential moves up to two or three. And when I do that, my potential moves up to four or five. So it's not just that I have all this potential and it's all the same either way. It's not all the same either way because my potential goes up as my actualization goes up. So, but the tester, may he be blessed, Yitzavibo, has commanded this, to bring the thing, from the potential, into the action. In order that the person should have the reward for a maisetov, for doing a good thing. Lo schar tov bilvad. 
not just the reward for having good intentions. There's another one you run across. Now, he's not saying the schar for Lev Tov is bad. That's good. The schar for Lev Tov is good. But there's something even better than a schar for a good heart, good intentions. It's the schar for actually doing it. I meant to, I want, you ever have that where like you were, I don't know, sick or you had a baby or something and people come to you, oh, I meant to send you dinner, I meant to do this, I thought about doing that, and it's like, okay, <laughs> great, I'm sure you're a nice person, you meant well, right, that's great, but did they do any of it? No. So maybe they really couldn't or whatever, so why are they telling you this? Because they want you to know that they, they thought about it, they did have good intentions, because good intentions is worth something too, that's true, but it's not really any comfort. Because <laughs> honestly, like meaning well is very nice, but it's only a beginning. It's only when you actualize it into something. So maybe you weren't able to, you know what? Maybe I wasn't able to bring dinner to somebody. But what if I said a parak of Tehillim for them? Maybe, maybe I did what I could do, right? That might be worth more. I might think, well, what's that? That's not worth anything. It doesn't feed them, right? Mm. No, it is worth something. At least I did some action. Let me do what I can do. Taking it. They should get a reward for the good deed, not only the reward for the good heart. Da. But doesn't the... You should know. Yeah. The action follows the intention. Is Over that, here, he's for sure going with that. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not getting saying, into that argument. No, no, no. I'm not getting into that at all. He's for sure going in that direction. You should have the schar for the good deed, not only for the good heart. So he's assuming the good heart is there, but it hasn't been turned into anything. Right. You haven't acted on it, then the good heart doesn't go any farther. Okay, you, it doesn't get expanded. Your ability doesn't expand. Da, you should know. Ki Hashem tzadik yivchan. That's a pasuk. God tests the righteous. God tests the righteous. Kishehu, now he's going to explain that. Kishehu yodea betzadik sheyase ritzono vechafetz lehatziko. When God knows that the righteous person will do his will, and desires to, to show the world Kiddush Hashem. Yitzave oso benisayon. Then God will command on him a test. Velo yivchones harishon. He's not going to bother testing the wicked. What's the point? When you understand what a nisayon, nisayon is not a trap. A nisayon is truly an opportunity. It's not just a nice way of, you know, reframing it. And the whole purpose of a nisayon is to raise you up like a banner. Is to give you a chance to become a miraculous, supernatural person. That's what it's for. So for a, a wicked person, who's not interested in listening, what's the point of testing them? Are you doing them a favor? No. That would be entrapment. To test the wicked is entrapment. What are you doing already? You're, you're just trapping them. To test the righteous. Now, the truth is, that a wicked person could also be tested out of God's chesed, but it will be at the level they're at. You know, when you mug the lady, will you also shoot her? That could be the test. That's not my test, I hope. Yeah, but meaning they might be tested for where they are, and that could be a sign of love. But a person who has no interest in doing what's right, God doesn't bother testing them. They could have other things go on in their life, but what's the point of testing them? Do they still have Vehine. a choice? Vehine. Do they have free will? People have free will. Vehine, and behold, kol hanisyonos shebatora. Wherever there is a nisayon in the Torah, letovas hamenuse. It's for the good of the one being tested. It's for their good. It's a gift. It's really a gift. 
And yet, coming back to our bracha, we say, because we're not supposed to ask for a test. Because, by definition, we could fail. And we don't want to let God down, and we don't want to let ourselves down. Now, what do we know in fact? We know in fact that Hashem does test. So we don't have to worry about it. Somehow, it always works out that there's tests. Okay? But we don't ask for them. And if anything, we say, please don't test me. Please don't test me. And there was that Gemara, right? The Gemara said, yes, I realize that if I'm not tested, I won't get the sechar. I won't get the reward for passing the test. But I would rather maybe not ask for either one. It's true I won't get the reward. But I'm willing to give that. I'm willing to, to sort of say, okay, maybe I'd rather not that than have to go through the possibility of, of letting God down altogether. So we don't ask for it. You have more, more than one opportunity, though. Sometimes that test. Generally speaking, if God is good, itself, if God is, you know? is, yeah, God loves you. And when you notice that something is happening to you over and over again, I just had a conversation like this with a friend of mine. And we've been having this conversation for a while because she keeps having the same situation over and over again. So that's a real gift. It's a very big gift, but it can be a very painful one if the thing that's happening over and over again is very painful, yeah. like in this case, you know. So something very painful and keeps happening over and over again. And finally I said, look, my teachers taught me, right, that when you, if you see that the same thing keeps happening to you, it means that this is an area in which you are able to truly excel. So you have to figure out what it is that you're supposed to be doing over here because there's a God is basically not allowing you to, go, to just let that pass. Mm-hmm. That is great love. That is very great love. It's a bit obligating because now you've got to figure out what it is you're supposed to be doing, right? I mean, she's had a really rough time, okay? She's been fired from three jobs in six months. Oh my. That's not easy. That's really painful, Okay. But it's always the same story again and again. Okay, so now you got to say three times. Okay, I'm paying on? attention. Something. Right, so we've talked about, right, you keep doing what you're doing and you keep getting what you're getting, and is there something you have to do differently at work? But, but sometimes it isn't exactly that, right? It could be you get cut, keep getting cut off while you're driving. It could be, right, sometimes you just see like the same thing. It doesn't look exactly like the same thing, and then you realize, no, this is the same pattern. It's just three different situations or... Right? Hashem is calling you and, and bringing your attention to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. How do, you, how do you give that over to, let's say, a young adult? Only if they ask. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. There's a I lot we know. You mean, for does everybody. it have yeah. to be straight out asking, or can it be like they're just venting to you? But they, if they're venting, probably your job is to just listen. People work things out. They figure stuff out by talking. And they, whatever they work out, it will be less than what you could have told them, especially if you're like their parents because like you've been around much longer and you know them from the outside. But they won't learn it so well. What they learn and figure out on their own, they will learn much better. When someone asks a question, they're a lot more invested in what the answer is. A speci- has, you're saying a specific question. Generally speaking, Or if they say, I'm, having a, I'm in a crisis. Mm-hmm. I'm having a crisis. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty See, dramatic should, word. So you have to know the person. Word. Are they actually having a crisis? Because that's like a pretty, that's a big deal. That requires like major support. Or are they a dramatic person and they're using the word crisis? You know, some people just say crisis. I would first listen a lot, right? Seek first to understand, only then to be understood. I would 
do a lot of listening first. Mm -hmm. You can always, you can not always, you can often call somebody later and say, you know, I was thinking about what you said and it occurred to me that, or have you thought about that? Or, you know, Rabbi Goldberg has the advice, right, for when your children talk to you. Thank you for sharing with me. You know, sometimes you have to change the phrasing, but essentially, thank you for sharing with me. I'm sorry you have to been having to go through what you're going through. And what, what are you going to try and do about it now? Like, right? Sometimes, if someone's really going through a crisis, then it could be appropriate to say, what are we going to do about it now? So that they know you'll be in there with them. But, you know... And then afterwards, sometimes you can say, is there anything I can do to help you with that? That's usually the most helpful response, even when we know the answers. Oh. <laughs> Maybe especially when we know the answers. Sometimes if you don't know the answers, it's easy, because all you could do is listen. You say, I just don't know. I'm sorry, but anything that I can do, I'll, I'll try and help you. you know? But sometimes we know, and mostly you can't, even when someone's asking, um, they're often not able to hear more than just the very next step. Or just maybe there may be a big a picture, like a bigger picture. Like I know you, I have confidence that that could be. You'll that's not a plan. That's not advice. That's right. just not like giving advice, but just giving support. Right, right. Like, you have, have to be careful that you'll, that you'll figure this out, and right. I'm here for you to listen. You have to know the person, and the right timing. Right at the beginning of event, if somebody says that, it's like a write-off. It's like, oh, I know you can handle this, which minimizes it. Because they feel like they can't handle it. That's why they're telling you this. I don't know. It's, I don't know if there's, I don't, I don't have any great rules of thumb. Um, doesn't Rabbi Dessler say that everybody's level of an assayon is different? So let's say our level is not going to be, should we eat this non-kosher chocolate bar, right? So maybe somebody that's getting it again and again, like they can't get up to the next level till they pass that whatever that test is, and maybe we're, we're doing it wrong, like we need to... Yeah, I mean, pro change. presumably if it keeps on happening, we haven't figured out how we were meant to approach it right. for some so, reason. But so it's often something... See, the thing is, I'll give you an example. Somebody just shared this with me. Um, she was saying it was a very, very interesting conversation from a very inspiring woman, and she's really an amazing person. So she was telling me... This came up for various reasons. She said, you know, I was always very slim. And um, then at some age, which was too early to be middle-aged spread, so to speak, like just normal, I started gaining weight. But this was like, you know, at age 35 or something. It wasn't, she wasn't so young and she wasn't so old. So she says, I started gaining weight and I... Um, I exercised and I kept a food journal and mm -hmm. I counted my calories and weight and I was still gaining weight. Mm -hmm. And I did this and I did that and I was so discouraged and I went to the doctor and I said, I think there might be something wrong. Like this doesn't, you know, and he said, oh, you know what? We can run some tests, but it's basically diet and exercise. And she was like ready to cry. She's like, you don't understand. Like I've always been careful and I'm more careful and I'm still gaining weight. And, you know, so this was going on and on. 
And eventually they figured out what it was. And in fact, there was a problem, right? Yeah. But meantime, she was getting blown off like, oh, well, what you need is proper diet and exercise. You know, everyone says they're eating right, but they're not. And she was like, no, I'm like, really? Anyway, she said to me, what I realized was that what it was about was about gaiva. Because I was naturally slim and I was careful with what I ate. And I thought that because I was careful with what I ate, that's why I was slim. And when I saw other people who were overweight, I assumed it's because they have no self-discipline mm -hmm. and they have emotional problems or they, you know, like they're lazy. Mm. And it wasn't until it happened to me and I knew I wasn't lazy and, and everyone just thought that I was, you know, really was cheating on the diet and just saying that. Like it wasn't until I realized that it's not in my control that I was able to then, you know, be Zoha to get the diagnosis and yeah, and now it's now it's okay. I mean she's she's like I'm still careful with what I eat, whatever, but like now it's okay. It was such a powerful musar. So why did I share that example? Because it's an example where you might think like the thing keeps happening, right? She keeps gaining weight, so she's got to figure out some new strategy for how to tackle the food, right? Deal with emotional aspects of eating or deal with um, maybe, maybe she should try Weight Watchers instead of just counting calories or maybe she should try a paleo diet or maybe she should try a five and two diet or, you know, or maybe she should try a different kind of exercise, right? Or fasting or juicing or... It, it's not necessarily, it may be that what we're called upon to do is just take a step back and reassess how we're dealing with this situation. But it can also be that what, what's happening, when it's happening over and over, is there's like a fundamental spiritual quality that we have the ability to achieve and we're not. And this situation is driving us into being forced to find that and face it and deal with it. Right? That experience for her was so traumatizing, but it forced her to realize that it wasn't under her control. And the way she had, she didn't even realize that she had been looking at people in a, really looking down on people. And when it happened to her, she realized, I've been looking down on people. It was very, very insightful and very interesting lesson. It is interesting, but how do you also know that you're, that you're interpreting it the way yeah. Hashem, the message is that your For perspective that, it, is the same perspective, it, the message that Hashem okay, wants you so to get. Okay, so two pieces you know to that. Yeah, like, two pieces to that. Sometimes it helps to speak to somebody yeah. else about it. Exactly, That's a good friend, somebody who understands you. I have a very close friend, and I could see exactly you know, <laughs> why she's being tested in a certain way. And she could see why I am, but I can't see why I am. Wow, and she can't that's see amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's we're in our own blind storm. spot. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. So having a good friend or a really good mentor is a very big help to bounce things off of because one thing that can happen is we can come up with an idea that makes us actually feel righteous. Oh, it must be I'm supposed to work on my uh, my da my davening. You know, the gaiva. No, finding gaiva in yourself is like it. You got to be supernatural in your willingness to see yourself honestly. Otherwise, it takes someone outside of you to point it out honestly. Like it can be done, but that. it's very hard. We're very we're all, we're all very good. good at, we can at all that. see it in other people. <laughs> We can all see. I'm very grateful to the last person who pointed out the gaiva. It was a very, very big help, you know? But, like, it's very hard to see gaiva in yourself. But to say, like, oh, it could be, oh, my goodness, what was this example, 
Rabbi Leichter gives such a funny example. He says this person who is, he's always like shouting at his family and really mean to his wife and children. Like, and he said, and this person took upon themselves on Yom Kippur, it's time to make kabbalas, and he took upon himself to wear a hat when he says Asher Yatzar. So Rabbi Leichter's like, what is this? Like, that's a kabbalah? That's where you're holding? You know, you got to know where you're holding for real. Yeah, what's right? like what? that? No. Nothing. He, didn't realize, he, he didn't thinks he's a righteous really person. He thinks right. he's such a righteous right. person. What should I work on? Oh, I could get to a higher level of like putting a hat on when I daven, when I say Asher Yatsar. Come out of the bathroom, I'm going to put a hat on to say Asher Yatsar. It's beautiful. It's lovely. It's inspiring. Great. But Nebuch, you know, like that is not where you're holding, right? Missing the whole point. He's clearly missing the point. So will anyone be able to tell him? I have no idea, right? So there's this kind of like, sometimes it can be easy to say, I realize there's something wrong. What should I be doing? I guess I should be saying a parak of Tehillim every day. Now, it could be that that's really the message you're supposed to get out of it. God wants to hear from you. Mm-hmm. And maybe you haven't been dominating enough. And maybe it's time for you to, like, be in touch. And that's a correct way to do it. It could be. It also could be that it's a way of patting yourself on the back and not actually figuring out what you were meant to do. Mm-hmm. And what you were meant to do was um, make sure you say three nice things to your husband before you say anything critical. Potentially, like it could be, right? <laughs> Such things. There is a book, it gives a little bit of clue that has the, the Garden of Healing. The Garden of Healing? Yes. has Oh, right, because it's, about, it's yeah. more about physical. It's like Garden of Imuna, but... Yeah, the same yeah. writer. Um, say if you have backache or if you have... Like you could think about this. Yeah. Right, like a person could look this, if it's... You have to work on this. Right. It's a pretty high level thing. Like you need I mean it could be with this book so it could be that you have a rub who's like giving you some clues but you know like to look at what's going on. The second part that I was going to say is really somewhere the answers inside of you because God's not sending you a message that you can't hear. You just have to de- you may have to decode it. But it must be that you have the capacity to decode it otherwise there's no point to sending a message to someone who can't decode. So what you have to watch out for is that you're taking an easy way out rather than actually decoding. But somehow inside, if you will open yourself up and say, okay, I'm not sure what the message is, but I, I want to know. I want to get it right. I want to hear what you're telling me and ask. Say, Hashem, help me. Please help me understand what you want from me. And he will probably help you understand what he wants from you. Because, like, that's the point. That's the point. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to get very far in Ra'al Tashla Banu Yitzhahara, but let's, let's at least begin into it. All right. The Al Tashlet Banu, and do not allow to dominate over us Yitzhahara, which next week, Emir Hashem, will be our topic. Kind of defining that's we'll we'll reuse these handouts again because today we both mostly talked about Nisayon, which is really a good topic. Can I give it back to you? you can uh, give it back, yeah. Uh, uh, we'll just save them. Yep. Yeah, okay. So Al Tashlapanu Yetzahara. Do not uh, Lishlot is to rule, to dominate, like with a very firm hand. Okay? So Al Tashlet is not to place ruling upon us, the Yetzahara. Don't let my Yitzhahara rule me, is what it means. All right, so what does it mean to ask Hashem not to let my Yitzhahara rule me? Well, 
whose job is it, right? Like, whose job is it to make sure my Yitzhahara doesn't rule me? My job. It's my job to make sure my Yitzhahara doesn't rule me. So what does it mean that I'm asking Hashem? To help you. Don't let my Yitzhahara rule me. Maybe right. to help you, that that's your intention, that's what you want. <coughs> but you also want a little more co-op or a little bit more <laughs> fortitude. I think saying it, too, like when you say to somebody, oh, remind me that I need to do X, Y, and Z. Like, it's not the other person's job, <laughs> but maybe by us saying that, that's nice. So just saying it out loud, even. Yeah. Some it's of it so also is this like gaiva thing, I think, mm-hmm. right? Like if I if I say Hashem, please help me beat my Yitzhahara, then I don't start thinking, oh no, piece of cake, I can handle this Yitzhahara, which hot. gets like similar. You can see how that comes out of the lowly day nisayon. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm gonna stop on the nisayon, and I just realized I skipped lowly day vizayon. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm gonna stop. Right here with the Al-Tash Lepani Yitzhahara. We'll come back to it next week. I don't, I didn't mean to go out of order. Loli Devi Zayon. Hashem, don't, don't bring us into being tested. Vizayon is shame. Humiliation. What humiliation? What humiliation are we talking about? So, according to the approach that we said, which is a bit more of a chiddush, right? That we're saying we could be brought to Hashem through tshuva, meaning going through mistakes, so then the vizayon is the kapara for that. You suffer, but hopefully at least you... But what is the bizayon? So, we are, what, we, when do we have bizayon? When are we disgraced? When we fail the nisayon. There is a disgrace and a shame to having faced a situation where we were able to succeed and we chose wrong. We cho- not, not we made a mistake wrong. Okay, sometimes knowing what you knew then, you didn't know what the right answer was. And then afterward, you can be kicking yourself and kicking yourself, and that's no point to that. You did the best you could with the information you had, right? But sometimes you know what's right and wrong, and you chose what was wrong because it was easier or it was more popular or more socially acceptable, so you didn't speak up, you didn't defend the person being bullied, whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. There is a shame. There is a shame if it's seen by yourself, when you see it in yourself. There's a shame and disgrace if other people see you, right? You ever raise your voice in your house and then discover someone was in there that wasn't (laughs) part of your family, Mm -hmm. right? So were you ashamed beforehand, but somebody else saw? Somebody else. Now, God really is always there, which goes to show that we lose sight of things, okay? And then you found someone there. There is bizayon in the next world, too. When we stand for judgment, and the great, the leaders of our generation and our own teachers sit with us to watch the movie of our life. They sit with us? They sit with us. They're watching a lot of movies. Watching a lot of movies after all those years, right? Okay. And there's a lot of humiliation. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not... It's not the humiliation per se in front of the Chafetz Chaim. Mm-hmm. Now, the Chafetz Chaim, if he would see the things we do, oy, right? Mm-hmm. But someone in our own generation who understands what the tests are, and we still didn't, right? He understood also what you can do. But even we just ranking our own, ourselves again. We're just you, what? If we just see what we did five minutes ago. We, we're we humiliated in front of ourselves. Right. I mean, we don't need someone else to be, to be there. Right. B- 
but we do sometimes right. because we don't think back. If we would think back, maybe we wouldn't have to face that in the next world. We could face it in this world. It's part of tshuva, right? Could I face it now? <laughs> it's part of... Okay. They will sit and listen to the details of our Averos, and that is the ultimate bizayon. Having your words turned against you. That can happen also legally, right? It just as a mashal, right? When they suddenly subpoena all your emails or your text messages, and then that comes out in court. Someone just told me yesterday they were they were deposed. They were deposed, meaning they were having to give a deposition. So under oath, describing something in front of lawyers, right? So they were deposing for four hours because the attorney for the other side had brought in, they had been able to subpoena all the emails between this person and the company where they had talked about how the, I don't think you're doing a good job, you should have warned me about those safety violations, da 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 da, da. So now the person is, this other person is suing the company and saying you didn't take care of safety things, and here's a client saying that he's not doing safety things. The words are being used against you. Uh-huh. Your own words come back to be used against you. That's a very embarrassing thing to see all of your stuff, right, go out there. So lowly Dani Sion, and even more lowly Devi Zion, which is the outcome of failing the Nisayon. But the, I think if the main thing to take away is that statement of the Ramban, all Nisayonos of the Torah are for the good, they're really meant for the good, and God doesn't bother. If there's no point, he doesn't bother. Being tested is truly a sign of love because it means you are worth investing in. It is worth manipulating nature and manipulating the situation and all the people around you to put you in a position where you can become greater than you are. So maybe it's presumptuous of us to strive for greatness, but we can strive for greaterness. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Okay. So sorry for the abrupt change there, but I didn't want to <laughs> miss out. And Ritz Hashem, next week, Eitzahar. Um, I'd also see, yes. so, like, all these ideas, if we were to, to look at the different levels of them, of Nisayon, Bizayon, all these different, it seems to me like it's also to heighten your awareness of the things that we need to work on so we can really do proper chuba. That's, that's all they're for. That's what it's all about. You know, that, that's. This lemon anybody wants. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, so, One of these weeks, um, we're closing in on Asim. But also, isn't that the way that it's also like to correct ourselves? Like it's hard to, because it is hard to see. And not, I mean, if even if you're asking somebody for advice, sometimes if you can't even express properly what you're experiencing, because you're blind to it. Right. So how you know like. That's why that when you, when you do sit down with someone, so then the process of trying to figure it out out loud often can help you discover what the problem is, mm-hmm. right? Or like one of my teachers likes people to write down their question before they come in. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's much more efficient sure. because Absolutely. you don't spend 45 minutes out of an hour consultation figuring out what the real question is. Just the fact, the exercise of knowing. Now, you're not even sitting with him and he's already helping you because you you're figuring out what your question is. Right. Even if it's the wrong question, you're still trying exactly. to Exactly. But think what about ends up it. happening is you write down the question you're and then you're like, no, that I, I 
do understand that. So what is it really? Meaning you start, it's not that you just jot the question down. Mm -hmm. You're preparing the question and you right. think about it. When you he, once you've written it down, you suddenly realize, oh, it's, there's something I missed by, there's something that I missed, there's something more to this. You know what, that isn't exactly the question. Like, that's not the bigger question. Maybe that's just Yeah, maybe that's a piece of it or else. maybe that's an angle of it. Or, and you get a greater clarity just from the process of clarifying the question. Mm -hmm. That's a you very know? good uh, so. exercise. Because you also are more invested in it when you walk in. That's also true. You that's know, for sure it's true. It's not like you're just sitting there airing it out. You're really, you're doing that work hopefully before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's efficient, but it's more than that. You have a different kind of clarity, you know. How do you know, though, who to ask what to? Oh, it's a simple question. It's a simple pasuk. If he appears to you like a malach, go seek Torah from him. That's right. Last, was that last week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know that's not simple. I was a little bit joking. It's very, it is, it's hard, it's a hard one. But and also to establish a relationship you enough that they know who you are. So they, well, that's they a little bit up to you to express who you are. Um, look, there could be somebody who's very expert in something that you need to know, but you don't speak the same language. So sometimes you have to go like, they speak yeah, Hebrew like, and you no, speak English? Or you just saying, like the way that you speak, the way the you way think you about things. And then when they tell you something, you don't exactly hear it either. So you might do better talking to someone who's a little less of an expert, but who's willing to ask themselves if they're not sure. But at least that you feel like when they say something, it makes sense to you. And when you say something, you feel heard. You know, that can be like an issue. Definitely working on it ahead of time before you ask mm -hmm. makes a big difference. It's just hard to do. Because, like, we don't take time to think much. But if you know you have a meeting coming up, then you can say, okay, I have to set aside a little time to make sure I understand what my question is. Let me see if I can write it down in one sentence. You know, if I can't, then maybe I haven't clarified it enough. So let me get it down to the sentence. And that can be a motivator. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, sort of like what I did say last week about the, if he looks like a malach, right? And that it has to come from first seeing that a person's a person and then they're a malach. If you see that somebody has has dealt with such things, now you don't always know. If it's something internal, gaiva or something like that, like you're not necessarily going to know that that's what they've dealt with because it's inside and it's private. And I'm going to talk. But if you see that somebody has the quality that you're seeking, they appear to be very humble, or they appear to, you know, they've had like health issues in their life or in their family. And they still appear on the outside, at least, to be cheerful, right? That's somebody who's worth talking to them because maybe they figured some of this out. <laughs> like, they've been through it. What worked for them? How did they cope with it? Like, like this friend of mine, right, who said, I realized it was about Gaiva. That's a big one. It was a spiritual journey. You know, it came out in the physical because that was the situation that was going to force her to have to see it. The situation gets manipulated for us <laughs> to the, you know, so to the point where we can no longer ignore it. Mm -hmm. So maybe we didn't have to ignore it all along. Or maybe we did, you know. But uh, if we don't see it, if we're blind to it, so it'll become more and more visible until we no longer can ignore it. And that's... That's also a blessing. You a question? Yeah. You were talking about, like, you see so many people that have tremendous potential, 
and then you see like what did they do with that potential. Mm -hmm. And my question is, and I see, and this is my observation, especially in the from from circles, it seems to me, from my perspective, that you see a lot of people that are just going into things because that is what is how they're being directed. Not that that's necessarily fulfilling their potential. It's just, it's going to be a job that's going to give them some flexibility, that'll give them some parnassa so that they can live this lifestyle. But it, in terms of their potential and fulfilling their potential and being given the opportunities to work towards that potential. So number one, who says you fulfill your potential through your work? Well, I'm just saying. That's just not, a, you know, that could be the main part of your life. It could not be the main part of your life. Number two, what you start off in is not usually what you end up in. It's a place you start. And when you're 18 or 20, you don't normally have a very powerfully clear vision mm -hmm. of who you are and where you're going. There are people who do, um, for better or for worse, because right. when you're 18 or 20, you may or may not have a correct vision. You know, and if you're very stubborn and determined that that's what you're going to do, like you may not be open to receiving and listening to where you could go. Right. But if you don't, then doing something for practical reasons is not always a bad thing. Right. And the proper opportunities will come at the proper time when you're ready for them, even professionally. Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't start off coming out of Beis Yaakov and working in high tech, right? I came out of Beis Yaakov and I worked in graphic design, which was not a field that Jewish girls worked in. Now it's like a common one, right? There was no such thing. There was no such training. Happened to be that somebody offered me a job. I, you know, I had been editor of the yearbooks. I knew how to use like a proportion wheel, how to crop a photo. Like, so I got offered the job. And for years, it was a good parnassa. And I worked on very interesting books with amazing people. And it was enjoyable work, you know? Did I know that that was also going to lay the ground for other important things? I didn't know that. And that, those other important things, they laid the groundwork for the next set of important things. Well, that's, that's, what I, that's who, exactly who what knows? I mean, this is like Min HaPoach, El HaPoach, though. It's developing the skills, having the experience. That's right, but you know the what? The skills and experience I gained in graphic design mm -hmm. that helped me had nothing to do with anything I could have trained for. They were about, they were spiritual or intellectual abilities or ways of thinking about things much more than they were anything to do with the skills to do with graphic design, per se. You say, say that one more time. You say the skills of graphic design that I then used for technology design are right. nothing to do with each other on, a, on paper. On top, yeah. Uh -huh. So it had nothing to do with training and everything to do with how God turned it around so that I started to think about things and started to see things and understand industrial design as something interesting. Like, it took like a whole different approach, you know? And the business management skills and the business development skills and the team building skills and the whatever, there's like millions of other things that had to go in, that I had to learn in order to be a technology person that didn't have anything to do with technology on its own, right? and how to run a meeting and how to build clients and how to, how to talk to people and how to build a work plan and develop out a plan that goes and, and build in millions of little contingencies and, and raise funds and all those skills. Those aren't, those aren't the skills that have to do per se with invention or, or learning how to write a patent or something, right? And yet those skills by themselves have built on to become a whole different kind of work, mm -hmm. right? That whether it's, you know, mentoring or teaching or or helping people build businesses, or educating people to do better jobs with their business. Like, 
Do you think you that's... just don't know where things go? Hashem has it figured out, and so that's what I'm saying. The environment and what He puts in front of us, and the experiences He builds around us, so that we develop our potential, mm-hmm. are not necessarily anything to do with like a, just a flat definition. Like, oh, this person has so much potential, they should put it into something really important, like rocket science or curing cancer. Like, there's a lot of ways to fulfill potential, right. and the spiritual and emotional ways matter a lot more in life than exactly what your job description turns out to be. For sure, absolutely. Just, when you said that though, when you said, um, like there was an, um, someone wrote into Mishpacha last week, a, a girl who was saying that throughout high school I was the star, I was the A student, I was the teacher's pet, I got all the great jobs in Beis Yaakov and people loved me and I was the, you know, she was the apple of everybody's eye it seemed like she had all these wonderful opportunities that she kept getting were given to her and she said and then she got married and then she moved to Lakewood and she was just one of many teachers and she had a difficult pregnancy and then she was managing you know trying to still manage putting food on the table and this and that and she said then I had another child and she said how come no one told me how difficult that this would be. No one prepared me. She, she felt that she was being fed all of this wonderful support and the light was always shining on her and everything just seemed like so easy and all of a sudden reality. We think it will be better day. for everyone if everything will be easy. But when you look at people who have had to struggle, their lives are often happier because there is struggle in life. So the fact that we shelter the kids and they never get to learn how to do something, you know, maybe if she had helped out more with the babies at home, not that she could have been the youngest, you know, but like if she had had more responsibility at home, it might not have seemed so overwhelming because for her that would have been easy stuff that she knows how to do. Or or yes, it would, maybe it was. Whatever it is, so it was difficult for her. That's how we grow. Even a blade of grass doesn't grow without a malach hitting it and saying, grow, grow. So we also have to grow. It doesn't always, you know, mm-hmm. we also get struck to grow, 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 and we do. But um, Rabbi Goldberg gave his series, was it last year's series, about, um, about encouragement. You do it, it's all online, and very worth hearing. Because what is called encouragement and what isn't encouragement? And just telling people, oh, you're so smart, you're so wonderful, you're so brilliant, you're whatever. It's really this topic of bringing things from the koach el hapoel and praising people for their koach is counterproductive. It doesn't do anyone a favor. Mm-hmm. To praise someone for koach, first of all, they didn't make their own koach. God put it into them. They don't get credit for it. Mm-hmm. The risk is either they'll believe you or they won't believe you. Mm-hmm. If they believe you, it's they become a huge balgaiva and they can't hear from anyone anymore. If they don't believe you, then they think they're a nothing, even though they have all kinds of amazing potential and strength to use. I mean, it's, you know, there's a real art to learning how to encourage people to help them in such a way as to bring out their poal. So that is, I can't recommend that series enough. It's, it's very online. good. Where is it online? I'll show you. It's a, I'll show you. I'm um, either at Chinochvad. Chinochvad, I'll send you the link, or it's at the Yayo site. I'm not sure which, but I'll look for it. I'm, I'm going to show 